The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Stocks looking to keep the win streak going, grinding out small gains, and may, maybe more on tap today. Futures, they are higher. Jay Powell and the Fed reiterating their fight against inflation, saying it'll do whatever it takes to take a bite out of some record high prices this even as faith in the Fed falls. Breaking news in the UK, Boris Johnson reportedly set to step down as Prime Minister. COVID scandals and the energy shock may have sunk him in the end. Steve Sedgwick live outside 10 Downing Street with the very latest. Speaking of energy, imagine paying double or triple for your electricity. It is happening in one of the world's biggest economies, latest on Europe's growing energy crisis. And are you looking for some new stock ideas in this lousy market? Well, of course you are. And our RBI will bring you four new names and one Wall Street bank loves. It is Thursday, July 7th. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you. And there's a lot going on. Let's jump right into these markets and your money. And what has been a, a few days right now of decent little gains, and we mean little, but at least we are on a win streak for stocks, and that may continue today. Stock futures, they are higher across the board. This after more slight gains for stocks on Wednesday. And like we noted, markets having a little bit of a win streak going. I mean, just a little bit, but still squeaking out some small gains, probably better than the opposite, right? In bonds, 10-year yields, they are still below 3%, just at 295 Really caught in a tug-of-war between an aggressive Fed and real worries about a recession. Recession fears also hitting oil, which has had one of the fastest, biggest drops ever in the past couple of weeks. Crude oil, back below $99 a barrel, seems downright cheap. It's lost 17% in a month. By the way, oil stocks, they have been hit even harder. The XLE big ETF, that is down 25%. At the same time, lost a quarter of its value. In just a couple of weeks. All right, that is your setup. But now we've got to get some big breaking news in London. Multiple reports say that Boris Johnson will resign as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. The move coming as he faced a wave of resignation calls to step down over COVID scandals, inflation and energy shocks. Steve Sedgwick is live outside of 10 Downing Street with the very latest. Steve, what do we know at this hour? Brian, um, I've seen some pretty extraordinary events in British politics over the last few years as well, but perhaps none more extraordinary uh, than the last 48 hours. When I was talking to Frank, who was sitting in for you yesterday, we'd had around about a dozen uh, British resignations from the government. You've got to remember the government is a whole host of ministers at all kinds of levels, up to 120 individuals. I can tell you now, Brian, that up to half of the British government has resigned over the last two days, including some of the big beasts of British politics. 
banks. Uh, we've lost the chance of the Exchequer, like a finance secretary, a treasury secretary. We've lost uh, the man in charge of Northern Ireland, which of course is such a key issue in our relations with Europe and especially the Republic of Ireland as well. Uh, we've lost the Welsh secretary. We've had a minister sacked, uh, the uh, Michael Gove, the levelling up secretary, uh, for potentially briefing um, um, the press about he was going to tell the, Boris Johnson he should resign. So Boris Johnson has lost a huge swathe of his support within his own party. We saw a devastating Prime Minister's question time yesterday where several members of his backbench MPs uh, were taking him to task saying it was time for him to resign. The most extraordinary of all perhaps, Brian, we lost the man who was the new uh, Treasury Secretary, the Chancellor Exchequer here on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, he basically had been put in his role two days before and then said today actually he believed that the Prime Minister Boris Johnson should resign. They were going to announce a new economic policy together next week as well. So an extraordinary burst of resignations which has made Boris Johnson's position untenable. Uh, and it seems for the second time in the last three years now I'm going to be standing here where a lectern is going to be pulled out uh, as I saw with Theresa May uh, and Boris Johnson is about to resign uh, in the next few minutes, in the next few hours. And I know the reports are still just that reports, Steve, but assuming they are correct, you've got Sky, you've got the FT, you've got numerous sources out there saying it. Assuming they are correct, and Boris Johnson today, any time now in the next hour, as you said, announces he may step down. Is it because of the COVID lockdown party scandals? Is it because of energy shocks? Is it because of inflation shocks? Is it kind of a combination of all of the above? You make a fantastic point, Brian. You're, you're, you're on the now here. When I've seen Margaret Thatcher resign in 1990, uh, when uh, John Major resigned, uh, her successor, uh, when Tony Blair resigned, when Theresa May resigned, all of these big British Prime Ministers over the years as well. It was because of policy issues. It was because of policy differences, very often over uh, tearing themselves apart and their parties apart over Europe uh, mostly, and that's famously with Margaret Thatcher as well. This appears to be not about those big issues. This is about the integrity of the Prime Minister, which is an extraordinary thing. So yes, the Partygate scandal, absolutely at the start of this, and we've talked about this previously as well. But more questions this month have risen about Boris Johnson's integrity, about his judgment about his appointing uh, of a man who he knew had sexual misconduct allegations against him uh, when Boris Johnson was the uh, foreign secretary uh, and uh, letting this man come back into government, uh, a man who became the deputy uh, whip thereafter as well, knowing that there are these allegations against this said gentleman as well. This has led many to question Boris Johnson's yeah. judgment, especially when uh, MPs and ministers had to go out and defend Boris Johnson uh, and they feel that they've been not told the entire truth as well. Uh, and as such, he's lost support from whole swathes of echelons from across the party as well. This isn't just about the Brexiteers uh, versus those Remainers. It's not about those who wanted to be in Europe versus those who wanted an isolationist Britain. This is across yeah. the party, which is quite extraordinary. British policy is notoriously confusing for many of us on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, Steve. So if Boris Johnson does step down, he announces today, I'm leaving. Is he gone tomorrow or does he hang around until a successor is found? And if so, how would that happen? 
Brian, that is the brilliant question. It is an exact question. It is a question that MPs in his own party are asking. It's a question that the leader of the opposition has just asked as well. Uh, he wants, of course, the leader of the opposition wants a general election in the UK, a, a complete vote for the whole population on who should be the next government. That is very unlikely to be the scenario because only in 2019, and this was Boris Johnson's main selling point, I led you to an enormous victory. I got 14 million votes for you, the Conservatives as well. So they have a majority at the moment. They have a very strong working majority. So there won't be a general election. That's the point. So will Boris Johnson, your question, uh, remain in power whilst we get a new leader? That is what I think he wants to do. He wants to become what's called like a caretaker prime minister until the process of electing the successor of the leader of the Conservative Party, who then de facto, ergo, would become the next prime minister, is elected. Let me tell you about that time frame. Uh, in 2019 with Theresa May, she resigned in late May or said she was going to be resigning in early June. We didn't have a new leader of the Conservative Party and hence a new prime minister until late July. So the process could be elongated. We could actually potentially see uh, Boris Johnson in his position until the autumn is what we understand but and there is a very wow. big but such is the corrosion within the conservative party such is the distaste with his leadership and the anger with boris johnson that many conservative party mps we understand would not want him as the caretaker so it could be his deputy dominic rock or it could be someone else being suggested altogether as well but the process first of all and i'll just say very very quickly it goes to the mps in parliament the conservative mps vote through various rounds they pick two candidates and then those two candidates go out to the conservative party members throughout the country. That's how it works here in the UK. You made it clear, as always, Steve Sedgwick, outside of 10 Downing Street, looks like we could get a resignation, but still could have the same man at 10 Downing Street for a few more months. Very fascinating. Steve Sedgwick, thank you very much. And of course, we're going to keep you updated on everything that's happening with that big story from England. He could resign at any moment. If he does, of course, we will go to that. In the meantime, right here in the States, the Federal Reserve increasingly losing credibility with big investors, but still looking to keep raising rates. Minutes from their latest meeting showing officials reiterating a tough stance against inflation with another half or three-quarter point rate hike likely at this month's meeting. The Fed committing to the need to tackle high inflation, even if it means putting the American economy into a recession. If we aren't in one already, of course, let's bring in now Ralph Bassett, head of North American equities at Aberdeen. Ralph, thank you. I mean, I guess it is the only question for equity investors in the United States right now. How much of a slowdown and or recession is already priced into the American stock market? Yeah, so we had our, our internal meetings to go through that question at the end of the quarter, and it's really a difficult one to answer on a number of fronts. But um what I can tell you is our view is that um, really that the policy path from a Fed perspective is now largely priced in, and that's looking out you know, over the next 12 to 18 months. But what we really haven't seen have been negative revisions flow through the market because um, you know, demand has really yet to weaken across most sectors. There are pockets in discretionary housing, et cetera. But I guess my point is we're getting to a, a level where it feels that a lot of the bad news is priced in. And what we really struggle with is where is the upside going to come from? from that perspective. You're making a great point, Ralph. There are two very different sides to the equity market. We kind of always think that if we stop going down, we must go up. The 1970s kind of taught us this. Yes, you had big rallies inside of the bear market, but just because we stop going down more doesn't mean the markets have to rally back, does it? I mean, they could just kind of sit and wallow for a period of time as the market tries to figure out exactly where earnings are going to come in. 
Yeah, there's there's two sides to that. Does the market overshoot? And to my last point, we just don't feel we're at a point where that's happened as of yet. Um, we haven't seen the earnings revisions flow through, as I said. But importantly, we don't see valuations at a level where they fully discount in both the interest rate environment and the pressure there on the PE multiple, but importantly also you know, factor in for those negative revisions. So that could be one thing that would lead us to be more constructive. I think the second thing would be, obviously, the Fed policy um, and that being navigated fairly seamlessly. But um, we just don't see that unfolding. And so our point there would be, um, you know, getting through a recession, but importantly, coming out of it with better growth and a more supportive interest rate environment that would lead to positive revisions. But that's that's a ways off. Yeah. Well, you guys at Aberdeen, your job is to invest your clients' money, so you're still heavily invested. You've got to be invested somewhere, Ralph. Where is that right now? It's really difficult, I will tell you that. But um, we're coming through it with a view that, um, you know, we want to look out over the next, you know, two, three years. And I know it's very difficult, but we tend to not chase markets. And so we're true believers in structural growth and innovation. And I think a lot of um, my counterparts are struggling with this kind of value growth um, you know, kind of balance. And our view is that um, the whole growth trade is unwound, especially post-COVID, and valuations are becoming a bit more attractive, especially for profitable companies. And so there, we've been willing to pay up more for stability, for growth, but also visibility of that growth. And that's really kind of what's guided our investing over the past, you know, five plus years, but importantly, also um, in the recent market environment. Yeah, well, it's well said. Listen, Ralph, it, it has been hard this year, but certainly stocks have been through worse or at least been through this before, and <laughs> they tend to be higher over time. That's why we invest. Ralph Bassett of Aberdeen. Ralph, have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we have got a lot more to do on this Thursday. When we come back, an executive summary of Europe's growing energy crisis, and yes, it is a growing crisis with no signs of letting up. Later, reading the tea leaves amid growing recession worries, the signals that the job market may be sending about the road ahead. We've got a busy road ahead. Stock futures, they're up. Oil, below 99. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on some of your key business headlines that are happening on this Thursday morning, including... A stock split for one retail trading favorite. Christina Partsanevelos has the details. Christina, good morning. Good morning. Can you guess? Shares of GameStop jumping ahead of the open after the retailer announced its board has signed off on a four-for-one stock split. Shareholders who own the stock at the market close on July 18th will get their three additional shares for each of the company's Class A common stock they hold. GameStop had initially proposed the stock split 
back in March. So it isn't new news, but didn't do so at the time because it needed shareholders to increase the number of authorized shares. Plus, the board approved it. Switching gears, Samsung's run of record results may be coming to an end. The South Korean tech giant forecasting a more than 11% rise in second quarter operating profit from a year ago to roughly $10.7 billion below analysts' expectations. Results will be released later this month. And the FDA looking to help overseas baby formula makers keep selling their products in the United States even after current shortages subside. The agency revealing it will develop a new framework to help those companies keep their products on American store shelves. So, Brian, that means any changes could help strengthen the formula supply chain in the wake of those shortages impacting so many families that we saw just over the past few months. An important story and maybe some good news there, Christina. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, let's update you now on what just may be the biggest economic and market story in the world. That is Europe's growing energy crisis. There's a lot going on. So here's an executive summary of everything that is happening. First up, German, Germany. German wholesale electricity prices have just hit more than $330 per megawatt hour. What does that mean? Well, for comparison, electricity prices in New England, Boston, etc., averaged $74 per megawatt hour in May. So Germany is facing wholesale electricity costs that are 350% higher than places like Boston, which, by the way, have some of the highest costs already in America. And it's not just Germany dealing with serious issues right now. The UK reportedly racing to reopen its largest natural gas storage facility because they realize that renewables simply cannot store the electricity they need during winter or down times. France suffering through outages at some big nuclear facilities. And now the French government is talking about nationalizing the big utility Electricité de France, EDF. Italy, it just passed a $3.5 billion aid package to help families cope with their higher energy costs. And in the Netherlands, Dutch farmers are blockading roads after the government announced plans to drastically cut farm emissions or effectively force families to close their farms. Remember that Holland is one of Europe's biggest food exporters, so this adds to issues around food scarcity. There is a lot of very serious stuff happening in Europe with energy right now. We highlight some of these issues and their economic risks. A new op-ed on CNBC.com that I wrote yesterday, it is up there now, so please go check it out. And by the way, there is some good news here, maybe. The EU has just ruled that, in some cases, natural gas and nuclear can be considered sustainable energy sources. A shockingly rational decision by the EU we know, but it's amazing, what a crisis. And the real risk maybe of some politicians being run out of town by angry citizens can do to change, even the most hardened technocrats mind. All right, on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, more on the developing story in the UK. Boris Johnson may be set to quit any minute as UK Prime Minister. We'll keep you updated on that, plus, Apple looking to roll out a major overhaul of one of its most popular products, getting uh, an extreme upgrade for those living a more rugged lifestyle. There's your clues. The story ahead. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back. Some of the biggest players in media and technology coming together in Sun Valley, Idaho for the annual Allen & Company conference. Julia Borstad, of course, is there and spoke to the CEO of European communications giant Liberty Global. I sat down with Mike Fries, the CEO of Liberty Global, which operates in five core European markets, reaching 85 million subscribers for its mobile and broadband internet services. He told me he expects his company to continue to be resilient to economic pressures. I think the European consumer um, is feeling very much the same as a U.S. consumer. So, um, you know, confidence is lower. They're they're impacted by inflation, which is in, you know, high single digits across Europe, except Switzerland, where it remains very low. Um, And I think the, you know, regulators and politicians are concerned about the the broader macro picture. And so you'll see rate increases happen uh, to keep inflation in check. But, you know, GDP growth is stalling a bit. So it's a very similar picture to the U.S., maybe a little bit behind, not quite as volatile. With Liberty Global shares down by about a quarter year to date, analysts are largely bullish. 89% have a buy or overweight rating on the stock as the company taps into synergies from recent deals and considers others. We're always open-minded on the M&A front as both buyers and, and sellers, if it makes sense. Uh, most of our effort is going into the markets we're in. So in the UK, for example, we're the largest mobile company. We're the most important broadband provider, we think. And there might be opportunities in that market to continue to rationalize, whether it's fiber or content or, uh, you know, fixed. There's a lot of things that we're looking at in the UK market. Unlikely that we're going to go after other things outside of our core markets. We do have a $3 billion of ventures portfolio, but we've been investing in tech Uh, and things like that. So we stay opportunistic. Freeze predicts there will be more consolidation in each of the major European markets. You can find more from all of my interviews here at the Allen & Co. Conference in Sun Valley on CNBC.com. Brian? And our thanks to our friend Julia Borson. Of course, Julia will have much more from the Sun Valley Conference throughout the day here on CNBC. It's like, what, like 3.30 in the morning out there. All right, still on deck. The oil story that is largely flying under the radar right now, a huge pipeline at Moscow may force to shut down over paperwork issues. That story ahead. And a general reminder, if you haven't already, be sure to follow our podcast. If you miss the show any day, you just wake up a little bit later, we get it. Download it, listen to it in the car, on the go, wherever. We love you for it. Dow Futures up 128, and we're back right after this. Can we make it four in a row for stocks? Futures, they are higher. Investors starting to question the Federal Reserve and inflation. Where are all the American workers? Jobs data front and center as recession fears grow. But can the economy grow if nobody can find anybody to hire? And your morning RBI and four stocks that one big bank just loves right now. 
Get your pens ready. It's Thursday, July 7th. This is Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome or welcome back to CNBC, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Let's jump right in at just about 5.30 in the morning on the East Coast. Stock futures, they are higher. Dow futures up about 128 points right now, about four-tenths of 1%. Gains today in the market, long way to go, but gains today will make it four in a row. So math tells me that we're three in a row coming into today, although do keep in mind the total gain is less than 1% overall. Still, we'll take what we can in this market this year, right? Let's take a look at oil and energy. And there's something going on, by the way, in Kazakhstan that is maybe not getting the attention it deserves. A Russian court has ordered the Kazakhstan-based Caspian Pipeline Consortium, known as the CPC, to suspend all operations pending a review of paperwork. The Moscow court says the review has to do with safety concerns and spill risks from the pipeline that shutdown will last 30 days. Now, Whether you believe that reasoning by the court or not, the CPC is an important export point for oil in the region, with just over 1 million barrels per day flowing through it. Now, apparently, right now, oil is still flowing through the pipeline. But if this 30-day paperwork, wink, wink, shutdown happens, it'll take about 1% of global oil off the market. By the way, Chevron is a partner in the CPC. Just something else to watch in global oil and energy. All right, now to that breaking news out of the UK. Boris Johnson is set to announce his resignation as prime minister. A spokesman confirming that Johnson will make a statement later on today, although not exactly clarifying about exactly what. But numerous reports say that Johnson will step down as the conservative leader, but may continue on as prime minister until the fall when a replacement is found, or he could be booted sooner. The move coming as he faced a growing wave of resignations, with more than 50 members of parliament resigning from his government since Tuesday. Let's take a look at market reaction from England. We are seeing the FTSE. It is actually up just over 1%. By the way, that press conference, those statements could happen at any moment. And if they do, we will take you there. All right, now time for some of this morning's other key headlines, including... A multi-billion dollar deal in the works in the pharma industry. Christina is back with that and more. Christina, what do you got? Let's talk about Merck. So Merck is in advanced talks to buy Seagin, a cancer-focused biotech company, in a deal worth roughly $40 billion. The Wall Street Journal reports the companies are discussing a price of more than $200 a share. Merck is hoping to seal the deal on or before it announces second quarter earnings on July 28th. Seagen could help Merck offset a blow to sales when its blockbuster cancer drug, Keytruda, loses patent protection, which is expected to happen by the end of the decade. American Airlines will give pilots triple pay to work flights that were mistakenly dropped due to a computer glitch this past weekend. The pilots union says the error allowed pilots to drop thousands of future trips from their schedule, leaving more than 12,000 flights in July without a captain, first officer, or both. American said over the weekend it was adding most of those trips back, and the issue wouldn't impact operation or passengers' flights. But the union said reinstating the flights violated its contract. Apple is getting extreme. Bloomberg reports the company is working on a smartwatch that's geared towards extreme sports. It will have a more shatter-resistant screen and stronger metal instead of an aluminum case. It will also include a larger battery than the standard Apple Watches, letting athletes track their workouts for a longer period. 
The Extreme Apple Watch is expected to be unveiled later this year along with two other models. And then the question, Brian, for you is do you track your fitness and your sleep? I do. I do very much. In fact, on this schedule, as you know, Christina, tracking sleep is key. And I actually found that in the last, what was it, four days or five days, because I took off, you know, Monday was a holiday. I was off Tuesday and Wednesday. I slept more than 50 hours Whoa. in five days. Whoa. You must be tired. I sl- or you were. Uh, you, well, I slept two and a half last night. So we'll kind of see. Gosh, you're very lucky. You don't, you don't you have dark circles or anything like that. Like two and a half hours, I wouldn't be functioning. I'd be stumbling through everything. Oh, I'm just naturally Gifted handsome. And I use the ring. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know Andrew's a fan of it, the Aura Ring. Not, a, not, a, not an endorsement, but I know that Andrew uses it as well. So tracks your heart rate. I don't want to give it a plug. But anyway, it works. You just Christina, did. thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I'll send you my, I'll send you my sleep data. There we go. All right. Meantime, the busy week on employment data rolls on. We get initial jobless claims at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. And tomorrow, the jobs number for June. Expectations for 250,000 jobs added, a tick down from May. Take a look at this chart from Glassdoor. It shows that on the social networking platform Fishbowl, talk of layoffs rose 10% in June. They're now at their highest level since October of 2020. Also at its highest level in a long time, recession concerns. And a lot of concern about exactly where the workers are. For more, let's bring in Daniel Zhao. He is senior economist at Glassdoor. And Daniel, how is the job market right now overall? I would say that the job market overall is still very strong. We do see that even though there are signs of cooling as the broader economy cools, we're going from white hot to red hot. So the temperature is coming down a few degrees, but overall things are still healthy. That being said, we definitely are seeing concerns, especially from employees. We've seen this uh, uptick in discussions about recession, about layoff, comparable to what we saw earlier in the COVID pandemic. And I think that really just goes to show that concerns are very elevated right now, even if uh, we're not necessarily seeing the same level of widespread layoffs. It's more about general concern about the economic environment. You know, the one thing that I see, Daniel, and I talk to business owners, big and small, either I walk into a shop or we have a CEO on the air. I mean, every single one says the same thing. Where are the workers? They can't find anybody, whether it's for some entry level job or a high skill job. What's happened to the workforce? Well, I think it's really interesting because maybe a year, a year and a half ago, the concern was really about labor shortages because we were coming out of the COVID pandemic and we were really unsure whether we were going to get back uh, the labor force participation that we had seen before COVID began. But on the flip side, I think now we're actually seeing a different picture where labor force participation has actually recovered significantly. We saw millions of workers come back into the labor force last year and actually end up finding jobs, right? The unemployment rate is near 50-year low right now. Uh, But what we're seeing is that it's still very, very difficult to hire. And I think the picture, the narrative has changed. Instead of labor shortages, this is more about very fierce competition from employers. So it's not that the workers aren't there. It's that employers are competing harder than they've ever had to before because demand for workers is so high. You know, I, I, I want to believe you, Daniel, but every business owner I talk to says, yeah, I lost people and they didn't take another job. They're just out there. I don't maybe that's in just certain markets. We'll see. I mean, are there any markets that are hotter, either type of job or geography 
that are hotter than others right now? I mean, are, are there places that if there are people out there looking for a job, they should go literally or figuratively? Well, I would say that the markets, the labor markets that are hottest right now are industries that include a lot of frontline service workers. So, for example, retail or food services, and then also the adjacent industries that have expanded significantly during the pandemic. So you think about transportation and warehousing, the rise of e-commerce during the pandemic, that has been a sector where we've seen demand uh, absolutely skyrocket. Right. And I think that this is also a case where there isn't always the strongest connection between businesses and their workers like people. Generally, those businesses face very high turnover. Uh, And so this might be a case where businesses don't know exactly where their workers are going. Like if they're turning over, are they going to a competitor? Are they going to a different industry? Uh, Are they just going out of the labor force entirely? I suspect that for the most part, these are people who are finding another job, whether it's in the industry or outside the industry. But that's not always clear to the business because that relationship has historically been uh, fairly weak between the, the business and the employee in that industry. Yeah, and you, and you wonder, Daniel, with so many people remotely, and I know that there's there's fewer people than we think working remotely, but there's still millions of people doing it. If those mm-hmm. human connections, if those bonds that we need are, are going to be there, it's going to be easier to lay people off because you don't know them. Daniel Zhao, we appreciate you coming on. Important topic. Let's get you back soon, Daniel. Thank you. You know, you do wonder, folks, all the remote working, you don't know somebody, maybe it makes it easier to just... Lay them off. You just don't care. You don't know if they have a family. Anyway. All right. Coming up, more of the dramatic pullback in oil falling nearly 20% in just a month. The factors that may make the ease and the price pain short-lived. But as we head to break, more of your morning's top stories. More pain potentially on the way for those flying British Airways, scrapping another 10,000 flights from its summer schedule. With that announcement, the airline has now reduced capacity by about 30,000 flights, or 13% of its original capacity. Virgin Galactic announcing a deal with Boeing, a Boeing subsidiary anyway, to build two more Virgin Mothership aircraft. The company's current mothership, which carries its spacecraft to launch, is about 14 years old and undergoing a lengthy refurbishment. And Facebook parent Meta reportedly landing on a name for its virtual reality headset. According to Bloomberg, looking at code inside the company's iPhone app for setting up headsets shows that it will be dubbed the Meta Quest Pro, MetaQuest Pro. Meta expected to formally introduce the name later on this year, along with details about the headset's availability so we can plug in and never live real life again. We're back after this. What a difference a month makes, and maybe some good news on gas prices. Since hitting $122 a barrel in early June, oil's been in a steady decline, falling more than 17% to break below $100 a barrel this week. Now, there's a lot going on to explain why you got a stronger U.S. dollar, concern about recession, concern about global demand, as well as rising American output. Now, oil's drop has led to some relief at the gas pump. The national average now at $4.75 a gallon, although nine states are still above five bucks on average. And California, oh, California, still above six bucks. But not everything is coming up roses longer term. Supply issues continue to linger along with longer-term concerns about investments in the sector. Let's talk more now about all this with Ann Bluntser, Executive Director of the TCU Energy Institute, the Horned Frogs. Ann, it's great to have you on the program here. Uh, Oils, you know, suddenly we're celebrating $99 a barrel. I'm old enough to remember 
when 99 on the upside was devastating, suddenly 99 on the downside, by the way, same price, by the way, on the downside looks attractive. (laughs) What in your mind is going on, at least in the near term? Um, Well, thank you, Brian, for having me. Um, Right now, we're just in in such a volatile time in this industry. Um, It it is the world's most volatile commodity anyway. But I think when you mix Ukraine and Russia, I think when you um, put in the emphasis of of what has happened post-pandemic, and then, as you mentioned just previously, um, uh, you know, almost a decade of lack of capital investment back into this sector, you uh, see what we're seeing now, which, which are, you know, higher than average. Uh, prices. And again, there is good news in a little relief. It is starting to come down. Um, I, you know, I would project and the experts that we spend a lot of time talking to um, in Fort Worth, Texas at, at the Institute um, at TCU are, are saying, you know, it's going to be a while. I think a, a really happy spot um, for our industry where they can still make the kind of returns they need to make. Um, but it, it, it can be passed along to the consumer as well in regard to lower prices. Um, we're looking at 80 or 90 a barrel, which, uh, you know, I think would, would probably would be good for everybody. Yeah. And would that be enough to encourage more investment in the United States, get us maybe back to closing in on those December 19, 2019 highs of about 12.9 million barrels per day? I think so. I mean, no matter what, every expert, even the Biden administration is is saying that, you know, there will be an increase. I mean, the numbers that just came out from the EIA, um, there'll be an increase in demand uh, for the next until 2050 um, in, in regard to oil and gas. And so with that, we won't have a choice uh, but to reinvest. It's been an interesting time where the owners um, of these of the the big oil and gas companies, you know, have been requesting a, a more efficiently run business. They've wanted returns back to their uh, to their to their owners and their shareholders, and they've been putting less back into the business. Um, and and there's not going to be much of a choice for that anymore. I think you know when the demand is a bit higher, uh, it will feel like a more secure place to be able to put investment back into this sector. So I'm I'm hopeful, but it it hasn't quite happened yet. Do we have? Few... Do we? Well. Go ahead. All we hear about, Ann, is lack lack of people, lack of steel for tubing, lack of sand. You know, you need water for (laughs) fracking. I mean, that's what we've been talking about now for the better part of two years. A lot of people have left that industry, maybe permanently. Do you think that we can eventually lure them back and that we will see some easing in some of these supply constraints for the raw materials it takes to pull oil out of the ground? I, yes, I do think so. It's not going to be at the rate uh, that I think everybody would like it to be. I think there's a realistic growth here that could happen. Um, I do think we're going to have to continue to invest in other energy sources as well. Um, nuclear is, is always something that is, you know, highly efficient, um, sometimes unpopular in the public sector. Um, our renewable space, the, the, the battery, lack of battery storage and the technology that's happening there isn't moving fast enough. So when I say, you know, return back into, uh, this, you know, this industry, it's, yeah. it's in every way, shape and form and energy. We're going to need all of it. Um, there is no doubt about that. So, uh, yes, it will be slower. It will come back. Um, you know, it's going to be a matter of all the supply issues that you just named, as well as the human capital piece, um, I think is significant to pay attention to in an industry, um, in oil and gas that was, you know, has, yeah. has not always been shined in the, in the brightest light. And, uh, because of that, 
um, we've, you know, and we've become more efficient. I think it's unbelievable the the actual amount yeah. um, of, of revenue that comes um, now uh, for the same exact, you know, the same exact amount of output that's coming yeah. um, is bigger because we've become more efficient. You, um, so, you know, mix of those things are going to are going to go ahead. I was saying we got to wrap up, but you're very kind. Not exactly shine in the in the in the brightest light is a very polite way of saying many people have said the industry needs to go away, be phased out. So that was a very polite way of saying that. And Blunser of TCU, thank you very much. <laughs> well, uh, I disagree on, with that. On, on I, I think there's a significant yeah. role for for this industry to continue to play. Um, and it continues to prove itself, you know, with innovation. And so I think yeah. there's some exciting things. Well, ahead if you want to fly. Yeah. If you want to have a train, a plane, most automobiles, large ships, fertilizer, food, plastics, chemicals, and maybe you do. And thank you very much. By the way, I want to do a quick note. Kill the music if you can, guys. Um, whatever you think of OPEC, uh, yesterday we lost a giant in the industry. OPEC Secretary General, he was outgoing. His term was actually coming to an end. Mohamed Barkindo passed away unexpectedly yesterday in Nigeria. OPEC just sending out a note and some others that, that he was lost unexpectedly their term. Whatever you may think of the group, I can assure you that Mohamed Barkindo was always very personally kind to me. He was kind to CNBC. He was thoughtful. He always had a smile. He would always tell a joke. And by the way, he was damn good at mediating some of these high-tension talks between countries, even in OPEC, that maybe don't like each other very much. So uh, our sympathies to Mohamed Barkindo's family a kind gentleman, uh, one of the just the most gentle giants, literally and figuratively, you would ever know, Barkindo, uh, lost yesterday. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. And I'm back. And so the RBI is back. The most random and hopefully interesting thing you may hear all day, CNBC style, of course. And that means we're going to get all random about stocks because there is one upside to this year's market carnage. There are going to be some great stocks trading at deep discounts, And that will be higher a few years from now. You don't need to be Warren Buffett to know that. It's just market history. Bear markets happen. They eat nearly all stocks, bad, ugly, and good alike. The key is finding the good ones in the stockpile of the rubble. Well, RBC Capital Markets thinks it has just done that. They just made eight changes to their 2022 best idea list. They got four names in and four others getting the hook. These are stocks they call high-conviction, long-term ideas. First, the four names getting kicked off the list, some big ones. Amazon, out. Intuitive Surgical, out. Louisiana Pacific and Twilio, all taken off the list. You don't see that with Amazon very much. But here's what's being added to RBC's best ideas list. Utility company AES. RBC likes the decarbonization story here. American Tower, which RBC thinks will get a continued boost from 5G cell phone tower construction. The third stock they added, Lanza Group. Who? Well, it's a Switzerland-based pharmaceutical and life sciences company. It does have a U.S.-listed ADR. The ticker is LZAGY. And their final ad is Viva Systems. RBC likes the fact that Viva sells software to the life sciences industry, which they consider more defensive and maybe more safe in nature. So there are four names for you that RBC is adding to its best ideas list. Of course, it doesn't mean they're guaranteed to be winners in the months and years ahead. Nothing is. But if you are looking for some new ideas, there you go. Random and hopefully profitable. All right. Let's bring in one of our next guests here, and that is Digus Wright. He is Decatur Capital founder, CEO, 
and CNBC contributor as well. And Diggis, welcome back. I, in the commercial break, I, I asked our producer, Jason, I said, Jason, did Diggis pick Viva Systems because he somehow knew about the RBI? And he said, no, it was just pure coincidence. But Viva is actually just random but interesting. One of the picks you brought with you today. How about that? Uh, Brian, uh, spot on, because you know, we like what Peter uh, Gessner is doing as the CEO and founder of Viva. And so what they're focusing on is that um, research around for medical services, life sciences. Nine out of the 10 analysts have started to increase their estimates for revenue and earnings for this company. Plus, it has a forecasted profit margin of 20%. On top of that, Brian, it actually reinvests 20% of their revenues back into research and development to continue to do innovative solutions. A kind of a rare story these days when we're talking about raising earnings estimates, Digas. I mean, we never hear about that. Uh, it's not just a nice coincidence there, Viva getting the double plug in the same block, if you will, of TV. IBM. That's another name you brought with us. And I, IBM, man, this is the name that's been so hotly debated for so long. Yeah, you know, this is not your parents' big blue. Under Arvid Krishna, they're focusing on the hybrid cloud, artificial intelligence, and computer consulting. They have uh, a dividend yield of 5%. They have a return on invested capital of about 15%. And it has a uh, 27 times multiple. This company is doing all the right things in a new area of technology. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe your parents' IBM was a good name back in the day, but they need to adjust, and it sounds like you think they are. And then we just talked about oil. We talked about oil's role in the price of chemicals. That is not apparently scaring you off Dow Chemical. Dow Chemical, uh, you know, under the leadership of Jim Friendland, the CEO uh, since 2020, and he's been an employee of Dow Company since 1984. I really like what he's doing on cost reduction and also the restructuring of the debt. This is going to result in higher earnings and also they'll be able to invest in new projects. They have a return on invested capital of around uh, 15%. And also, I like the fact that what they're doing with the structuring of their overall debt, as I said, is coming down. They're going to be able to do uh, more investments in, in new projects. Mm -hmm. So I really like that. And you know, if you think about it, they're making the artificial turf, the materials for golf balls. They're in growth industries. So Viva, IBM, and Dow, very quickly, those are your picks on a macro view, Diggis. What's the next most important data point for you? Is it the Fed? Is it the job market? Is it inflation? Is it something else? Well, you know, one of the things that we're really looking at is that we feel that we're getting into a recession. The Atlanta Fed came out with their forecast for second quarter about a negative 2.1 for GDP growth. This follows a negative first quarter. Now, the National Bureau of Economic Research may not announce a recession because of the strong labor market. Right now, we're at about a 3.6 unemployment mm -hmm. rate. It, that is the lowest in the last 50 years. Plus, there's two job uh, vacancies for every unemployed person. Yeah. So we feel that the labor market is, is going to be a driver here and will continue to maybe keep us out of recession for a little bit longer.
Let's hope 11 million job openings. Where are the workers? It's a big question. Degas Wright, love having you on. Decatur Capital, have a great day. We'll see you soon. Take care. All right, folks, amazing how fast an hour goes. That does it for us here in Worldwide Exchange. Stay tuned for potential breaking news. The Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, may announce any moment he is stepping down. We're stepping down, but we'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.